We've been considering in recent weeks the formation of the church in its early days, and Rich has led us in much of that. And it's been quite exciting. We looked at the initial activities of the apostles. I'd love to see some of that now. And we're now going to start looking at some of the early structural development as practical issues arose in the church which needed solving. Now, as I've prepared for this sermon, which is about the subject of deacons, I've sort of spent quite a bit of time thinking of the context. I could just read the verses, give you the characteristics of a deacon, describe what they do. Sermon would be over in about 10 minutes or so, and that would be the box ticked but you don't get a 10-minute sermon out of me. (laughs) Amen. It's important to understand that much of the way institutional churches have become structured and administered over the years do not find their justification, either in the model of the early church, which we're looking at, or in biblical precedent at least not as far as the New Testament is concerned. This is something we have to reckon with. And it's not something that we as a free church are immune from. There's this tendency in human nature to institutionalize things. We like to contain things and control them and make them predictable. But the early church was nothing if not unpredictable. God in his sovereign purpose through his Holy Spirit insisted on doing unpredictable things. That's a bit unsettling, isn't it? I like it when God does unpredictable things. Because that means he's at work. And things outside our imagination and orchestration can take place. He who's able to do more than we're able to ask, imagine, or think the Bible talks about. Well, if you're constrained by all you can imagine and think, you're not going to see the fullness of God in and around you. This is the brutal truth. I may make some enemies in these remarks but I feel led to say it nonetheless. As I have studied this, and I've got a paper here you can borrow that I downloaded to read, which is very well written, if you'd want to look at it yourself, the notion of clergy and laity that besets the majority of the institutionalized church is not biblical at all. It just isn't there. I've looked, it's not. Now, in the first part of the second century, Bishop of Antioch called Ignatius was writing letters that were starting off the process of setting out a hierarchical ministry, a presiding bishop, and then elders, and then deacons. And the seeds were being sown for this hierarchical structure. That was never in the intention of the apostles. And that isn't the reason that Jesus washed the disciples' feet before he shared bread and wine with them and prepared them for his departure. He showed them the full extent of his love, is what the Bible says. I've not added to the words, I've not taken from it. The full extent of his love was that he put a towel around his knees and he washed their feet. Let me tell you something. It's very difficult to wash somebody's feet if you're in a place of pride. And it's very difficult to have your feet washed by somebody if you're in a place of pride. It is a humbling process for the giver and the receiver. But if I wash your feet, I'm showing you that I'm prepared to serve you. In those days, it was the task of the most menial servant. Peter said, well, don't just wash my feet, wash the whole of me. He said, no, you're clean, Peter. It's just your feet that are a bit dirty from walking in the streets. 
I need to do that. And I need to show you, you must follow this example of being the most menial servant. So this church hierarchy that's grown up is not the model of Christ, I submit. He who would be greatest amongst you must be the least. If you want to lead, you've got to serve. These are his principles. And so the church has been beset by this, with a presiding bishop and subordinated elders and deacons, and that's become the model. And since about the third century, the practice of a discreet ordained ministry with an accompanying non-ordained loyalty has been perpetuated. I'm sad about that. I'm sad about that. Because I think there's a lot of weakness and dysfunctionality in the church across the piece has stemmed from that error. Nowhere does it say that communion may only be celebrated by an ordained person. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say an ordained person may perform baptism. It just doesn't say it. So why have we contorted the Bible and conflated it with other principles? It's the process of institutionalization. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Jesus and the other people there in all his glory. And what's Peter's response? Anybody tell me? Yeah, should we build some little booths so you can sit in one and the others in the others? Can I just capture this moment and institutionalize it so it's there for perpetuity? And the voice says, no, pay attention. We have to be wary of this. If you come on a Sunday morning expecting a certain process here to take place, and you're satisfied if it does, and then you go home. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. We have 168 hours a week. We're in communion with God, or so we should be, even when we sleep. And then when we come together like this, it's the culmination of it. He didn't call us to come and perform a religious process. He didn't come call us to perform ceremonies. He called us to be his body, active at work, and vibrant and conspicuous and influential. So even if people don't, Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their saved, they will nonetheless recognize his presence and his activity amongst us. The biggest sin of all for a church is to be inconspicuous, blended into its community so it doesn't ruffle any feathers. God has called us to be a holy irritation. I'll say that again. He's called us to be a holy irritation. He doesn't want us to be complacent. He doesn't want us to be comfortable in what we find. He doesn't want us to be, be enjoying our churches as some kind of self-gratification, as some kind of experience-seeking process. No. This should be the hub. This should be the place where we oh, the fire is kindled. And we leave this place fired up to do more than we did when we came in. We don't emerge the same as when we arrived. I'm not the same man that I was 42 years ago when I gave my life to Christ but I'm not really happy with the progress I've made over these four decades. I still make some of the same errors, and I still rely on the same grace of God in the face of it. But he's faithful. He knows it in my heart of hearts I want to serve him. And just like I prophesied earlier, that if I stumble, he'll pick me up again. If you make an error of judgment, just be real about it. Apologize to people you need to. Take the hit if you have to. Be real with God, and he'll pick you up and sort it out and move on. And that, that experience of life will make you more resilient and more capable for the future. So, that's my context. That I, didn't, that I don't believe the Holy Spirit ever intended the church to become this institutionalized thing that it is. He wanted it to be as an organic body that was functioning. And that's the context in which I want to talk about deacons.
I didn't know it when I began, so I'll have to work out when to finish. Sorry. Acts chapter 6, please, if you have a Bible. Acts chapter 6, and ver- beginning at verse 6. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of the spirit and full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands upon them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and large numbers of priests became obedient to the faith. Just verse 8 as well. Now Stephen, who's just been named in that list, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. It goes on to talk about the opposition that he endured, And he was eventually martyred. So, good news for you deacons is, you might get martyred. (laughs) I hope not, because we haven't got another another treasure and it would be difficult to replace Peter and Christine. What's the distinction between Grecian or Hellenic Jews and Hebraic Jews? Anybody tell me? Look to my theological consultant, David. Correct. The, the Hebraic Jews were the local people, the indigenous Jews who spoke Aramaic, as you say, and basically the Hellenic or Grecian Jews were all the rest who'd been adopted in, and Greek was their, their language predominantly. They weren't. So we've got two cultures here involved, and as often is the case when people mix and mingle, they start to complain about somebody getting a better deal than they do. And so it was the Grecian or Hellenic Jews saying that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is a bit like arguing about the colour of the chairs in the vestry, isn't it? But it was a necessary thing, duty to fulfil. So how did they respond? Let's choose some really good administrators who've got a proven track record in managing resources and distribution and logistics and all of that kind of thing. Would be logical, wouldn't it? No. Let us choose from amongst us seven men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That was the criteria. Full of the spirit and wisdom. And as I read on from verse 8, Stephen, foremost amongst them who we're told the most about, although we're told a bit about Philip later too, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So, this is the origin of what's known as the diaconate or the role within the church that you identify as deacons. The word comes from the Greek diakonos, and it means a servant, or a minister, or a waiting person. Although men were chosen in this first instance, there is clear biblical evidence of female deacons. In Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, you can, feel, you can hear mention of Phoebe, who was part of the church in Sancria, and female de- deacons are also mentioned by Pliny the Younger in a letter that he wrote in about 
112. So it is a ministry from the onset for men and for women. That has to stop the institutionalized church making deacons a men-only thing. Crazy, isn't it? Is the Bible not good enough as a source of precedent and instruction that we have to unravel it and recreate it in a different form? Nonsense. Nonsense. God has given us the Bible and he has given us the Holy Spirit that we might understand through seeking him the way that he wants things done. There are institutions who say that their governing principles are scripture, tradition, and reason. And there's an implication that that's the precedence. But in reality, it doesn't work that way. Because tradition is elevated to the top, and scripture, if it gets a look in, and maybe reason later on. We must not fall into that trap. Our first and foremost parameter is scripture. If you hear something said here, whether from my lips or somebody else, that doesn't resonate with Scripture, it is your responsibility to identify that. Absolutely it is. Because I will do my best to deliver to you a true word. I will. I will not knowingly deceive you or use it as an opportunity to grandstand my views. But I'm fallible. And I might make a mistake. Have the courage to come and talk to me, if that's the case. And if it is an error, I'll put it right. So, are these deacons of who we've been hearing those who simply busy themselves with administrative tasks? Well, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll have a little look at the characteristics that they should display. 1 Timothy chapter 3, which talks about other roles as well, elders and so forth, but we're going to consider deacons today because that's our subject. Verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons, likewise, are to be men, or women, worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Deacon must be faithful to his wife or to her husband, and manage their children and the household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing, a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So the answer to my previous question is no. As in the biblical times, in the early church recounting the Acts of the Apostles, deacons have an important spiritual role. They're not here purely to administer things. Our deacons are Yvonne, Christine, and Peter. Yvonne is not somebody who squirrels herself away with books and things and pays bills and does all the financial things, which she does do and does very well. That's part of her role. But she has a spiritual role in intercession and in oversight, being wise and discerning what's going on around about her. That is every bit as much a role as if if not more than things to do with finance and accountancy. And if you think it's solely Peter and Christine's job to turn her here at the crack of dawn, sort the hall out, make sure there's tea and coffee for you to drink afterwards, heaven forfend that the service should end and there was nothing to drink, and then clear up, leaving generally when the rest of us have all gone, that wouldn't be a complete appraisal. They are charged with a spiritual oversight. 
And I would love, and indeed I believe, that like Stephen, our deacons will do great signs and wonders. Yes? It's a very diffident nod, Vivian. (laughs) I believe it, that's for sure. The deacons have an important complementary role within the church. And they'll be accountable for that, for sure. It is not a hierarchical thing. It's not if you're a deacon, you're somehow of a station above a regular church member. It doesn't work that way. That's a bit like saying your foot is inferior to your hand. You try living without a foot, then you won't be so proud of your hands. Paul makes the same point. He says, is every bit the same? Does the ear need to say, well, I'm not an eye or whatever? As a body, we function together. And some parts have particular responsibilities. That doesn't make them superior. It just means that's the functioning of the whole. If you said the brain is superior to everything else in the body, because without it, the nervous system doesn't work. Well, the truth is, without the rest of the body, the brain would be redundant. Every bit of the body has its role to fulfill. And if you haven't established your role, or if you know your role, but you're a bit diffident in fulfilling it, then the body is not working properly. My dear old mom lies in a bed in Birmingham in a nursing home. She can move her left arm and she can hold your hand and squeeze it sometimes. But that's it. GP said to me, he was considering physiotherapy. I said, well, I'm a man of faith. I said, I believe in miracles. (laughs) I said, but I think we're just a little bit past that point. Her limbs have no strength. The muscles are wasted away. She doesn't talk anymore. Her body doesn't fully function. So it can't do all that it was intended for. Which is a sad place to be when in December of 2017 she was fully independent. It makes me more sad to see her like that than if I learned this afternoon she had passed away. She deserves her rest. She served her life selflessly for other people. She published no books. She founded no institutions. And she's only five foot one, an inch shorter than the queen. But in heaven, she will be a giant. And there will be the list of people who she selflessly served. You could turn up on her doorstep, a complete stranger. And with one slice of bread in her bread bin, you would be fed first. That's godliness. That's godliness. And I spoke earlier about the institutionalization of the church. And one of the things that has made me sad, and I think we're, as family I can share this with you without recrimination. Somebody comes periodically to bring her communion, which is nice. He told me one week that he was unable to because there wasn't any reserved sacrament available for him. Do you know what that means? That means somebody with a dog collar and a qualification hadn't consecrated some bread and wine and put it to one side so he could bring it. I said, why didn't you bring some bread and wine from your own kitchen? That is the institution not working for the Holy Spirit, not working for the gospel. And my mom has been a member of that church for 60 years. And it says in the Bible, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you tended me. When I was prison, you came and visited me. And that the people listening don't understand what he's saying. And he says, insofar as you did it for the least of my children, you did it for me. And some of the people closest to my mother have neglected her. And that makes me sad. 
And my brother, to whom I gave credit the other week when somebody spoke about their brother, has been an absolute stalwart. My judgment of him was wrong, and I'm, 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 I'm prepared to admit that. He's done over 50% of the visiting for her. She deserves it. And for now, fading albeit, she's still a part of the body of Christ. And when the speech therapist was there a few months ago, and uh, she was a Sikh woman, and I prayed the Lord's Prayer with my mother to try and get a response. She didn't respond other than she smiled. When the Sikh said, that is a wonderful prayer, I've never heard it before. My mother never had a formal office in the church. She was simply a functioning member of the body who did what was asked of her. So what does, what does it mean when he says they must first be tested and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons? What it means is you're not going to be invited to take a responsibility like this out of the blue. You're not going to be invited to take this responsibility because you've submitted your CV to Richard and you are, you've got deacon stamped all over it. You will be invited to serve in that way if, after a time, you've already served in that way. If you've acted as a deacon and you've shown yourself faithful and the characteristics that are in here, then someday the invitation may come. Because these good people may not do it in perpetuity. They might feel that they've come to the end of their ministry in that regard and need to move on to something else. We must be regenerating ourselves as a body and not believing that something is always that way because it's always that way. Richard, you know, will retire one day. Have you thought about that? He will. There will need to be a succession. And that's something that God will need to guide us. In much the same way as the body is made of complementary parts, as I've said, then so is the church. And Paul asked this question, are all the parts the same? It's clearly no. Some weeks ago when I had the meeting, I exhorted you to be to behave like a functioning church, and you really did. There were lots of contributions, all sorts of ministry from the world. That's great, absolutely great. Let's be a functioning church. The recognition of deacons in their role in the early church allowed that responsibility to be fulfilled while others could focus on theirs. So this is the complementary role. It's not saying elders are superior to deacons or deacons are inferior to elders. They're saying they're complementary. If one does their job, then the other can do theirs. We're not saying that worship leaders are superior than those they're leading. They're fulfilling their calling. They're fulfilling their ministry, the thing for which they're gifted. I'm not really a worship leader. That's not my thing. I do it in the prison, and it's a challenge. It's a very accommodating audience, I might add. But I do it because I love the men. Do you know, on Thursday, I went to the induction at the prison, and they gave me my whistle. The bloke said, don't blow that indiscriminately. <laughs> so if you blow that in a public place, the cavalry will come. <laughs> he said, I've only done it once. <laughs> Got my whistle. It's an Acme something or other. And presently, I will have authority to get keys, which scares the living daylights out of me. Because <laughs> I'm not good with keys. <laughs> well, if Angie can master it, then so can I. <laughs> She'll listen to this tape, I'm sure, but Angie's doing a cracking job, you know. Everybody I meet in the prison speaks well of her. The head of security said, oh, Angie, yes. Tremendous, the crazy vicar. <laughs> so I'm the flying vicar and she's the crazy vicar. I can handle that. Won't wear a dog collar, mind. 
That's one thing I won't do. It has been said that the church is full of willing people. Okay? A minority who are willing to do everything and the majority who are willing to allow them to do it. That might be a truism, but if it is the case, then the church won't function properly. You have a role to fulfill. And if you don't fulfill it, that means somebody else has got to cover that ground, which will diminish from them fulfilling what they're doing. I started off by saying, I personally must explore what I do best and shed some of the things I only do well. Not sure what that means. It's a little bit scary, you know. But I'll get there. I used to have a computer which lost a couple of keys. And most of the time it wasn't an issue. But every so often I couldn't write certain words. So you're there going off to the keypad and going alt zero two three five or something like that to try and get the character you couldn't get off the keyboard, which is a bit of a pain. Tried to repair the keyboard, didn't work. Every key is useful. And it's sometimes when they don't function that then we realize their value. You know, you might be a letter X or you might be a letter Q, but you're necessary. You wouldn't be there if it wasn't the case. So every key is useful. But we should recognize and affirm our usefulness to one another on a regular basis. If you've enjoyed the sermon, do thank the preacher. My wife's husband would appreciate it very greatly. If you appreciate the work that Yvonne and Christine and Peter does, tell them so. Tell them so. Affirmation is good. You're vulnerable after you've spoken or you've done things and it's useful. Now, I've identified your deacons to you and I invite them to honor, you to honor them in your own way. Don't take them for granted and don't see them in some hierarchical way. That was never intended And that's not the way they see themselves. So, in conclusion, what does it mean when Peter says, in conclusion? Precious little. The early church established itself in a very effective way. Often, if we read in the Acts of the Apostles, it says the number of disciples increased rapidly, or the number of priests who came to the faith was significant. It was a great great dynamic spiritual fruitfulness. And that's something I'd love to see now. And that's something I pray for regularly. And that's something I want to be a part of. And I'll keep at it until either it happens or I die. The key for us is to recognize the roles God has identified, to release individuals into those roles, and then support and encourage others as we move forward. That is the key. Amazingly, it's the same principle in management theory and good companies. Put people in the right roles and encourage and affirm them in them. Then you get the best out of your business. That was a kingdom principle long, long, long before some business guru thought it up. And beware. Beware at all times of that insidious tendency to institutionalize and stifle the influence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. As I said at the start, just because we're a free church, just because we don't have a liturgy, just because we don't have an ordained ministry, doesn't make us immune. We've got to continually be sharpening ourselves, continually challenging each other, continually building each other up, recognizing gifting and liberating it so that it can work. We won't be held accountable for the errors of others in this regard. That's their responsibility. But we will be accountable for the way we have exercised the grace that's been given to us individually and has been given to us corporately as Beverly Community Church. And I don't intend personally to fall short I want to do what's asked of me, and I want to do it well. And I want to see the outcome. That's what God requires of me. And I hope you sense it's what he requires of you too. So, 
that's the conclusion of what I want to say. And now I'm going to pray. Father, who are we that you should have considered us and sent your son to die for us? Who are we that for all our failings and foibles that you should persevere with us, but yet you do? Now gather up what I've said this morning and distill from it what's useful and help all of us, including me, to better fulfill your purpose from day to day. We desire to see your kingdom. We desire to see lives turn to you. We desire to see the expression of your name righteously in this town. And Lord, we thank you for those who serve amongst us. We honor them and we bless, enrich and protect them in Jesus' name. Amen.